Welcome to this episode of the Disease Du Jour podcast on the topic of equine influenza with Dr. Tom Chambers of the University of Kentucky Glock Equine Research Center. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Chambers is a professor at the University of Kentucky's Glock Equine Research Center, and he focuses on the study of infectious disease, especially equine influenza. Dr. Chambers, who's been at the Glock Center for 30 years and who studied avian and human influenza for 10 years prior to that, has been in the forefront of equine influenza vaccine research, including that done for Merck's Fluovert IN. Chambers heads the OIE Reference Laboratory for Equine Influenza at the University of Kentucky. Many of the virus strains in current equine influenza vaccines came from Dr. Chambers' laboratory. Dr. Chambers received his bachelor's and his PhD in microbiology from the University of Notre Dame. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Chambers. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. The EDCC, or the Equine Disease Communication Center, as our vet listeners know, has reported just this year equine influenza cases in Colorado, Florida, Kansas, Maryland, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Washington, and Wyoming. And that included the outbreak at the BLM Wild Horse Facility in Colorado, where as of May 17, a total of 144 horses had died since the equine influenza outbreak began on April 23. And that brings to mind as Dr. Chambers and I were talking, you know, 2018-19 in Europe, they went from like 50 cases of influenza a year to over 4,000, which shut down racing and, and events and all kinds of things. And then Australia, remember back in 2007, they spent a billion, that's with a B, to control an equine influenza outbreak. So herpes virus is on everyone's mind, but equine influenza outbreaks are more common than herpes virus outbreaks. So Dr. Chambers, how can vets re-engage their clients to mitigate the risk of equine influenza? Well, Kim, first of all, I'd say um, you left out uh, flu in Missouri. We just got an isolate from, from donkeys in, in Missouri just this week. Uh, oh, my goodness. And uh, in an average year, and and the Merck um, uh, Respiratory Biosurveillance Program actually has been collecting this data for for many years. Um, uh, Kudos to them for for maintaining that that program. It's a great program. And, uh, you know, there are years when when herpes is more common, but but typically uh, flu is is the more prevalent, it's called, our, our term is enzootic, which, which is the animal equivalent of, of endemic, meaning it, it's always present uh, at, at some usually low level in, in the population. And the, uh, like in 2021, uh, there were outbreaks in over 30 states. Wow. And we made over a hundred virus isolates from from a couple hundred uh, samples, and so it it, it is always present. Um, the that that's not to say that every farm has it has it all the time. You know, it's a disease that that um, transmits and and moves around and uh, horses move around. And so a, a horse that was in Florida in in February, March might be in Kentucky in April and May, um, or maybe by now it's in Maryland. Uh, the 
the uh, disease is is like flu in humans. It can be very severe, like like we saw in Colorado, um, or it could be so innocuous that maybe the horse might uh, think I'm a little off color today, but but the the owner or trainer or vet might never notice. You know, it it has that range of of severity from from inapparent to uh, potentially lethal, and. So the there are a multitude of, of factors that play into that, uh, including the vaccination status of, of the horse. Now, the the Colorado outbreak, uh, the uh, information that uh, the USDA and the BLM have have published on that outbreak. Uh, and, and I'm in touch with those people also. And, and their reports say that at the facility, there were 2,500 horses, uh, but the particular uh, herd, the West Douglas herd, um, which was um, uh, basically wild horses, they, they were hard to handle. Um, there, there was a risk uh, of, of, of injury if they tried to, to vaccinate them or, or to get uh, nasal swabs from them. And so uh, many of those horses had not been vaccinated at all. Some of them had received just a single dose. Uh, and um, a, a few had received the, the two-dose primary course, but, but the second dose was only, uh, uh, I think, uh, 10 days, 11 days in advance of the outbreak, which is really um, um, vaccination in, in the face of an outbreak, you know, 10, 11 days in advance is, is like the minimum for it to, to be um, effective. The, in, in the rest of the facility, there was very, there were um, signs of disease, but no, no fatalities. Um, and and uh, more of those horses had been vaccinated in the Europe outbreak that uh, uh, that you mentioned in 2018-2019. The horses that had been vaccinated typically showed lower severity of disease than than the, the non-vaccinates. And in Australia, Australia was a, a flu-free country, and so they did not vaccinate their horses at all. So the uh, the moral of the story, there's several morals of the story, actually. Uh, the moral of the story from uh, from Australia is that the virus can transmit. It, it, it escaped from a quarantine facility that was designed to keep it inside. It got out anyway. And so it's a tricky virus. Uh, the moral from the uh, England outbreak in 2018-2019 in, uh, is uh, that the, the virus uh, changes over time and uh, flu is also enzootic in England, but they had only had what we call the Florida clade twos there for, for over 10 years. And now they had a sudden um, incursion of, of the Florida clade one strain and it, it partially 
overcame uh, the vaccines. And so the vaccines really have to be kept up to date and the vaccination status of, of the horses has to be kept up to date. The moral, I think, of the or the lesson from the, the Colorado outbreak is, is, seems to be, and, and we're not, you know, the, the final word has not been written right. about the Colorado, Colorado outbreak. And now there's investigators at, at uh, like four or five different institutions um, that, are, that are working on it, including uh, my lab. And uh, so, so the last word has not been written, but it is looking like there were uh, cofactors or, or um, um, secondary factors contributing to the severity of, of disease in in those wild horses. And um, for example, um, uh, um, secondary streptococcal infection seems at, at this point seems to have been a major player in in exacerbating the severity of disease. So the lesson from that is is that you know vets don't have well there there are actually anti-flu drugs for use in humans and some of them do work in horses but but usually by the time you the horse is diagnosed with the flu it's it's probably too late for the use of those drugs the secondary infections like streptococcus are controllable again if you, if you get to them in time uh, they, they, these tend to be very um, controllable with with suitable antibiotic therapy, and and vets, I think, are are all cognizant of of the idea that flu infection, given an antibiotic, it won't touch the flu, but it will um, uh, ameliorate or prevent secondary infections. So there, there's possibility of other cofactors too. Um, smoke inhalation by those horses was, was suggested. And at this point, um, the, 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 the story is, 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 is unfinished. Nobody really knows at this point what contribution uh, smoke inhalation might have made to the the severity of, of disease in those horses, but it, you know, it, whatever contribution it was, it, it was not for the good. Obviously, today's disease to your podcast is sponsored by the Prestige line of influenza vaccines from Merck Animal Health. There's a fine line in influenza protection. Only Prestige contains Florida 13, the most current influenza vaccine strain available. Prestige delivers advanced influenza protection against the most relevant flu strains circulating today. Get the upper hand on influenza with Prestige flu-containing vaccines. Learn more at MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com. And let's maybe take it just a, another step further, Dr. Chambers. So when we talk about veterinarians trying to re-engage, those are great points that veterinarians can use to point that, you know, all of the things about equine influenza. But when it comes to vaccination and trying to, you know, mitigate the risks through management, what are your tips for veterinarians to work with their horse owners? 
I would suggest, uh, first of all, starting uh, a, a vaccination program, a, a scheduled series of vaccinations in accordance with the AAEP guidelines. Those guidelines get periodically reviewed and, and they are um, at the, the, reflect the state of knowledge about um, the effectiveness of, of vaccines. The uh, so start a program when when the horse is a foal. You know what vaccines need to be scheduled while it's a foal. What vaccines need to be scheduled while it's a weanling, and then stick to that schedule. Um, the uh, um, second point is is what is this this uh, horse going to be used for? Is it a performance horse? Is it going to be shipped to a training center? Uh, is it a, a, um, a, a two-year-old that, that's starting to, to go to performance meets? And what are the risks posed by uh, its, its uh, uh, being shipped in, into a, a, a different, you know, a, a different uh, surrounding where, where horses from all over the country might be congregating. And so take that into consideration for your vaccination schedule. Now, I, as you know from, from our, our past discussions, you know, I am not one who thinks that um, the um, vaccination, like, like we sometimes hear recommended with COVID, uh, you know, get a booster every three or four months. Well, um, if you're trying to, to um, achieve sterile immunity that uh, for for COVID, um, I don't at this point, I don't think that's possible. And uh, for flu, I don't think it, it, uh, the more you vaccinate, you reach a point where the antibodies you're trying to produce are actually soaked up by the new vaccine, uh, the new the new dose of vaccine, and so it gets to be uh, so frequent that that it's counterproductive. It, it's it's not really doing any good. Um, but you know there is a happy medium between um, um, too often and and not often enough, and so uh, I think um, if if you have a, an at-risk horse, you know, you should strategize the, the vaccination schedule to, to try to, to find that, that happy medium. Um, and uh, so every six months, which is the, the typical recommendation, that might not be quite often enough. Every three months, in my opinion, is too often. Um, and uh, and you, you should like talking about COVID vac vaccinations for myself, I'm, I'm getting a booster in the next two weeks and, and I'm strategizing that so that I'm boosted in advance of, of some air travel that I'll be taking in, in June and July. I did the same thing before I was going to go see my newborn grandson. So, yeah. yeah. So, so um, that should establish a schedule um, with, with, <clears throat> a strategy in mind for um, for risk prevention and then stick to that schedule. And, but before you go on, and don't forget your next point you're going to make, but I wanted to touch back on what you had said before. So when veterinarians are planning this, 
Sometimes they may hold off a horse owner to say, no, you're not leaving for that show till the end of July. Let's wait until, you know, the first of July instead of, you know, maybe vaccinating in June when you're not traveling. So that's why horse owners need to listen to their vets. And that's why vets need to talk to the horse owners, right, and figure out what is coming up for the horse. Right. Exactly. Okay. And I I think one month in advance of, of travel or or three weeks in advance of travel um, is perfect. Uh, one week in advance is really cutting it fine. Um, um, the, the next point that I wanted to, to discuss was biosecurity. Uh, this is... Uh, for a, a traveling horse, it, it, that might be difficult because of the horse is moving around. But but back at at the farm, um, the the uh, the owner has not just the one horse uh, to worry about, but he, he's got his entire uh, uh, herd of horses to worry about. And the the best way to um, to keep diseases out is quite consciously to take the steps to 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 keep diseases out, which, which means basically quarantine. Uh, it means that new arrivals should not be immediately commingled with with the the standing horses. It means that uh, there are. Um, um, uh, things that that can transmit virus, like um, uh, it's called fomite transmission, which yeah. is transmission like on hands. That's why for for COVID we see people avoiding shaking hands and touching the elbows or or the knuckles or something, yeah. or always washing your hands. Well, think about that for for equine flu also. You know that if, if you're going from from Horse A and immediately going to Horse B, uh, and and you're not really sure that I, let's say Horse A just came back from from wherever from from Colorado or Missouri or or Wisconsin, and and you're well A, you should probably keep it in quarantine for two weeks to make sure that is it is disease free, and if if you're not confident that it's disease free, then Take the steps to to prevent fomite transmission from from that horse to to other horses. Like washing your hands. Um, don't use the the same tack or the, or the same uh, feed buckets or the same water buckets. Things like that. Possibility of 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 uh, the the transport van. Uh, that uh, that horses are moved around, and if you've got a horse that that with the snots and and mucus collects, you know, even just a, a spot or two of, of mucus on the inside of that van, you know, that van can really ought to be washed uh, with with soap and water. Uh, bleach is better, but soap and water usually kills flu. Um, and so, you know, wash out the van before you you stick another horse inside that van. So all these things, you know, just just be mindful that that the various uh, um, precautions that um, were advocated to restrict the transmission of COVID. COVID is a lot like flu in several respects. 
uh, droplet transmission, for example. Yeah. Um, so so if, if you have a sick horse, keep it well away from healthy horses. Um, and so I, I think it, uh, um, that, that veterinarians and, and owners should should be mindful of of, of uh, the possibilities, the, the dangers, the risks um, that that uh, um, newly arriving horses pose. If, if if that that until you're confident that the horse hasn't picked up something. You know, from a contaminated van, for example, yeah. that, that uh, you, you should be confident about uh, um, keeping that horse off by itself un, um, un, until you're you're sure that it's disease free. That's some that's great points on that. So, OK, so I have to ask and I don't know if research has ever been done on this. But I remember in my racetrack days, there was arguments about how far a horse's cough or sneeze could spread droplets. So what is a safe distance? I wish I had a, a good answer. That's a subject for debate. Um, you know, the, um, the literature from the 1960s when equine flu first was, be, began to be studied, uh, was um, uh, if, if I remember right, it was um, was it ten meters, about thirty feet, and now we think it, it's at least fifty feet, and it might be a hundred feet. Um, and there are questions about wind direction. Yeah. Uh, this this was this was really rather hotly debated in connection with the Australian outbreak, because there were indications uh, from from the epidemiologists who studied that outbreak that it tended to spread in the downwind direction, from from one. Uh, premise to, to the next. If that is the case, then uh, could it, it spread uh, a thousand yards and, and not just 10 yards? Well, you know, I, I personally um, am skeptical about that because there's a big dilution effect. You know, the, the yeah. farther it goes, the more it's going to be diluted, especially if, if it's on the wind. And, and it reaches a point where even if 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 you can detect it by PCR, the the chances of of it being an infectious dose uh, that the horse inhales gets to be very remote. I think um, you know the PCR can detect less than an infectious dose. There there's different ways of quantifying virus, and PCR is the most sensitive. That, that we have, you know, can detect a few molecules, well, not molecules, a few um, particles of, of virus. Um, but it, it takes more than that to, to be an infectious dose in, in a horse by the, by the respiratory route. Yeah. So, so, like I said, it, it is a hotly debated topic. If you want my advice, I would say, <sighs> Maybe 50 feet in the upwind direction and 100 feet in in the downwind direction. Oh, oh, okay. um, but you know, I, I there's no guarantees. 
Yeah. So, sorry, but there, and, the fact is... Yeah, and if, you're, if you're in Wyoming, the people in Nebraska should worry because the winds are blowing like at 60 miles an hour. So, it's, yeah. yeah. But it'll be dried out before it gets to them. So, so when we're... Um, when we're talking about equine influenza and protecting horses, we've talked about vaccine, we've talked about biosecurity. What else is it that, that veterinarians need to have top of mind when it comes to discussing equine influenza with their clients? Well, um, I think vaccination, biosecurity are the big things. Having a regular uh, monitoring of, of the horse's health is something that owners ought to do. I mean, uh, you know, a horse can just just like uh, a, a human can go from today I feel great, tomorrow oh what's happened to me, you know, um, you know in in one day's time, you know that can that happens to horses too, and and so you know just ignoring the horse standing out in the paddock for two or three days, uh, I I think is 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 not a recommendation. Instead, you know, you should look at that horse uh, and and check its health and ideally get a temperature on that horse on a daily basis. Um, if you can do it morning and evening, that would be better. That might be a bit of overkill if, if there's no other risks involved, you know, but at, at least on a daily basis, have a have a look at that horse. Any signs of, of snots? Uh, any signs of being off its feed? I mean, I mean, there's lots of things besides flu that that can go wrong with horses. It's, it's not just the flu, but a lot of these things, you know, if it's a bacterial infection, there there's antibiotics that you can give to the horse. So, is there anything else that, is, as veterinarians are trying to reengage their their clients to mitigate the risk of equine influenza, that you can suggest to them? Make sure that the foals get um, proper passive transfer of colostrum. Uh, if if they don't, then then administer uh, colostrum substitutes um, um, or hyperimmune plasma. Um, you know, foals a, a neonatal foal is vulnerable. Colostrum does from from a vaccinated mare. Uh, a vaccinated dam, colostrum is effective. And in fact, it's effective for for probably at least four months and 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 more like six. And that that's the reason why the, the first flu vaccinations for for weanlings are not recommended until like six months of age. Um, actually, in my opinion, they work better at eight months of age, but that's a long time to wait. Um, yeah. So make make sure that neonatal foals get proper passive transfer. Um, if the if the dam is ill, there's a good chance the, the foal is going to catch it. And and like I say, foals are are very vulnerable. Um, neonates are very vulnerable. Um, so so that also means keeping a a a a, a good schedule of vaccinations for the pregnant mare. Is there anything? special or exciting you're working on in your lab right now that uh, you'd like to share with us? Well, we have a, a couple projects in progress, and, and the one we're just starting is uh, a project on the, the microbiome of the juvenile horse. 
and the microbiome is a a, a a term that basically what it means is that the the uh, the respiratory tract of the horse is, is the opposite end of the intestinal tract. It's open to the outside, and that means it gets colonized by uh, microbes, bacteria, fungi, viruses from the outside. And uh, um, you know the the foal uh, can pick these up, you know, by just from its normal investigations of of, of the ground, of 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 of, it, of its dam, of its surroundings. Uh, you know, it it is colonizing its intestinal tract with with microorganisms that that hopefully like lactobacillus will be will be beneficial and it's also colonizing its respiratory tract and we know a lot less about the the microbiome of 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 the foal and and the juvenile horse than than we do about adults. I mean, the microbiomes of, of asthmatic horses have have been studied uh, in in some detail, but uh, but what is a healthy microbiome for the foal for a two, four, six month old horse? Uh, we don't know that. Um, and so, how when when uh, uh, a horse contracts the flu, one of the the things we know happens is that the microbiome changes. Uh, and the reason is because uh, flu kills the, the, the lining of, of uh, the epithelial lining of, of the upper respiratory tract. Those cells just, just die and, and, and slough off. And the, uh, the effect of that those those epithelial cells are actually a defense mechanism because they all have these little hair-like cilia that are beating, and and the 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 beating pushes a, a thin layer of mucus upwards. Uh, the mucus is produced in in the uh, the bronchioles and and the trachea, and it's pushed upwards and in, into the pharynx where it gets swallowed. And generally, organisms. Uh, fungi or whatever that that are trapped in that mucus. Once they're swallowed, they're inactivated in the stomach. Okay, and so by always beating upwards, that that's a defense mechanism. Uh, it helps keep those bugs out of the lower respiratory tract. Um, but flu kills those cells, and so the beating stops, and so you get opportunistic infections like streptococci that that could be. Uh, um, uh, associated with with the mortality in the Colorado outbreak, uh, and there are other opportunistic infections, and and these are uh, agents. If, if you really looked for Streptococcus zooepidemicus in horses, uh, there's a there's a good chance you'll find it, but it's not. It doesn't always cause disease because it's kept under control, and uh, with with flu infection. Uh, that control breaks down, and so that that's why these are called opportunist infections. They they take advantage of the open gateway, so yeah. to speak, in, into the lower respiratory tract. That changes the microbiome, and we have an idea of 
of what are the bad changes taking place, but we don't really know what the starting point is. We don't really know in a fall or in a, a weanling, we don't really know what the healthy microbiome looks like. And so that, that's the, the, the point of this research. We're just starting it with foals that are being born this spring. And uh, wow, that uh, sounds really interesting. I can't wait to see what you discover. Well, me too. And, and you know, the, it, it's a complex issue because we're using foals on our own farm in central Kentucky. And, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, possibility for variation. I mean, the, the, the foals um, in central Kentucky, do they develop the same respiratory microbiome as foals in central Texas or central Florida, uh, where the environments are, are, are different? Um, you know, that's a good question. And, and it's a complex topic. So it, it could be years before we actually have good answers to that question. That's something to look forward to. Well, Dr. Chambers, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And to our listeners, thank you very much for joining us. And a special thanks to our 2022 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. So you can listen to episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes or, iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever your favorite podcast platform is. Or you can go to equimanagement.com and we'll have a short article that goes along with each of the podcasts. And you can listen to the podcast directly from the website. Um, and if you've got a question or a suggestion, you can also email me at kbrown, that's the letter kbrown, at equinenetwork.com. So thank you again, Dr. Chambers. And we invite our listeners to make sure and go back and listen to some of our other episodes. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity, the Equine Network, LLC.